You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and all things modern culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang, and thanks so much for tuning in this week. I hope you're doing fabulously and living your best life wherever you are whenever you're listening to this. I am flying solo again this week because there was a little bit of a challenge getting a featured guest, but you know what? It doesn't matter. The show must go on, and I'm coming at you solo from Albany, New York, and I'm out here doing the very thing that this week's topic is about. I'm out in New York, upstate New York, doing a side hustle, doing a gig to earn money and pay my bills, and uh, this week's topic is about freelancing and side hustling. It was something that was uh, the feature topic that I got to dive into with Janet Wang at Off the Mic, the live event that we hosted in Los Angeles between First of All Podcast, Asian Boss Girl, and Perfectly Imperfect. And it was so enlightening just to hear everybody's questions. A lot of different people have DM'd me over the time and asked me for my advice one-on-one for a many number of years already. So I thought it'd be really cool to just sit down and go into the nitty-gritty, kind of give the overview of my past and how my career has formed and the way that I deal with the chaos and the beauty, like the, the, you know, it's kind of an unknown world for a lot of people. So just giving my two cents on what it's like and how I, how I deal. Now I'm thinking of Michael Scott from the office with somehow I manage. This is basically my version. So yeah, I hope that uh, this is helpful to any and all of you who are considering uh, doing a side hustle, which is a side job on top of a full-time job that you want to potentially pursue as a career, maybe shift into that full-time or juggle it both, or want to quit and just as you make that side hustle, your full-time hustle, whether that's building a business or you're freelancing as an individual, like as a consultant or a speaker or an actor like myself, that lifestyle and that career decision and that sustainability is a very unique way to live. So this is for all of you. If you're doing it, if you're thinking about it, I also want to preface everything that I am not an expert in this. I'm an expert in my own life. And so I'm constantly learning as I go. That's really the main kind of thread through all of this advice, quote unquote, that I'm, I'm sharing. It's, it's also just my story and hopefully what I've gone through and what I'm learning from all of these experiences will be helpful to somebody out there who's listening in. These are just my opinions. I am totally open very open, very curious, and very welcoming to additional resources or insight or feedback. And yeah, just want to throw that out there. It may or may not apply to you based on your your self-awareness and then your experiences, your personality, and go forth and prosper. Okay. I will just start the episode by giving a basic overview of my career trajectory. I have shared this in numerous episodes, but I am a bio geek and I had my sight set career wise on becoming a doctor very early on. That was not something imposed on me. I wanted to do it. I'm say that I've said that so many times because there's this very large glaring Asian stereotype of 
become the doctor, lawyer, engineer. And also by just living in this world, this is not an Asian stereotype exclusively. I mean, that's just the most, whatever. Everyone's, honestly, we're so much the same. And all these other communities and cultures are, we're all very, very similar. Um, it's definitely not an Asian thing exclusively, but it's definitely a, a huge part of being an Asian American is that parents pressure their children to become doctors, lawyers, engineers. So I start that off by saying I was not pressured to become a doctor. I was just a very, I wanted to help people heal. I wanted to help uh, make the world better. And I was really good at STEM. So being the achievement-oriented gal that I am, I went with where the A's were directing me. And that was, you know, my areas of bio, math, science. I just loved all of it. And I liked the idea of having a really good, respectable job and helping people. So I pursued the whole medical field world pretty hardcore since I was 14. Um, I went to high school in Pleasanton, California. Shout out to Amateur Valley High. I love you. Go Dons. And starting from ninth grade, I actually entered into a health and bioscience career pathway program that Mrs. Emerson, you are the bomb. I love you forevermore. And I thank you for all the work that you did as an amazing teacher to make that program. She and another teacher at my school created a program for people interested in a health or bioscience career to start pursuing it early on. If there was an inkling that you wanted to do it, you should go learn about it. Like they wanted to create opportunities. So that program basically meant that I took health every single year, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, instead of just freshman year. I think there's just a very, very small limited requirement for health classes in California, which I think is a travesty and that needs to be changed. So if anybody is interested in public policy and education, holler at me because we have stuff to talk about. I think it's really terrible that you don't get health on a regular basis. Like our bodies and everything, like our mental health, sex, nutrition. Like, are you kidding me? That's not something you just learn when you're only 14 or 15 for a semester. Ridiculous. But anyway, I digress per usual. I entered that program and I, I was a really happy participant for four whole years. And from freshman to senior year, I took health every year, learned about health history, and then also the applied career elements, which is shadowing doctors, doing research projects. I got to go, I can't, I, I need to make an episode to talk about this, but I actually interviewed a plastic surgeon, not because I wanted to become a plastic surgeon, but I wanted to know what his world was like, what kind of patients he dealt with. And then I did my senior project on that. So I shadowed a plastic surgeon. I didn't see an actual surgery, but I just got to know his life. Pediatrician, because these were the kinds of things that I was really serious about pursuing. So um, I did that whole track. I did AP bio. Um, I did chem. I think physics is the devil and all that. And then I went and got into UC Berkeley and I entered UC Berkeley with a molecular cell biology major declared. That was a, oh God, that is, that school is no joke. I, you know, I'm very grateful that I was, you know, that I was a, a nerd in a lot of ways. I loved school and I did well in it, but definitely getting into UC Berkeley and being around a lot of incredibly brilliant minds and pursuing molecular cell biology, like pursuing a pre-med path in college was extremely eye-opening and very humbling, very, very humbling because those classes are very cutthroat. They're huge classes of like 300 plus students where you're learning Chem 1A and you're just feeling like a lost little child. 
in a sea of brainiacs. You just feel like you're the biggest failure. That's how I entered college. And so I kept going on in and, and college was a really, again, humbling experience where I learned very quickly that I'm not as smart as I think I am, which is a good lesson to learn, I think. And that I really needed to work my butt off and figure out if, you know, this path was really for me. And that's why I think I appreciate those kinds of challenges because they really do, you know, it's kind of that do or die situation. That's a very dramatic way to put it. But in essence, it's helping you distinguish, like, do you really want to do this? Is this something that you're willing to put in the time and energy to do and achieve a better grade or learn the subject matter? Or is it something that is maybe steering you in a different direction? So doing the MCB path at Berkeley was... um was extremely challenging. It was a little bit soul crushing. I got a series of very bad grades and it really definitely made me question whether I was cut out for the medical path, even though there was a lot of confidence in my, you know, ability to learn and my ambition, you know, was not really stifled in any way, but it was really genuinely making me question if that was the right path for me. Also in tandem, I think it's really relevant to say that I was in the tail end of my abusive relationship with my ex-boyfriend. And so there was a lot happening emotionally and psychologically as an 18 and 19 year old young woman that definitely took away from the fact that I was, you know, just this pre-med student who was trying to live her best life as a college student and figuring out who she is. It, it was a lot. There was a lot happening. And so. During college, I ended up switching out of molecular cell biology. They got me. They weeded me out. And I actually switched to public health. So public health uh, differed from biology in that it was approaching health and approaching the science of diseases and um, health outcomes on a population level. So while pre-med and molecular cell biology was like really looking at an individual, looking at their cells, looking at, you know, an individual's bio biology and the way that things impact it public health fit me really well because it was expanding from looking at one person at a time to looking at groups of people which i've always been fascinated with i wanted to understand why teen pregnancy was the way that it was or why all these people have depression or why smoking leads to this kind of cancer or what bike helmet laws do <laughs> like it also made me understand I wanted to do public policy. So that's where my world expanded and it shifted a bit in college. And after college, I worked in public health at a nonprofit called Prevention Institute in Oakland, California, and freaking love that place. And I love Larry and Rachel and Annie and everyone who enriched my life by giving me this little college graduate, her very first full-time job. And I worked in the violence prevention as an administrative assistant for about three years, and then switched gears into tech. Now, every step of this way, of course, I could dive into it and be really, really in-depth about what was driving me to switch gears and what was going through my mind. But for the sake of this overview, I'm just kind of going to plow through, I guess, the timeline of it, the resume of it, so that we can get onto the subject at hand, which is about freelancing and side hustling. So um, I went from uh, working in public health as an admin assistant and worked in violence prevention and got to speak all over the country, help my boss, Annie Lyles, who I freaking love, and she's relevant later in this story. And then I moved, uh, switched into the corporate world because I wanted to make more money. I wanted to work and live in San Francisco. So I switched gears and moved to Macy's.com and became a software compliance analyst. 
And that became the full-time job and was a completely new world for me and made more money, did pretty well there. And in that whole time where I was working in Oakland, San Francisco, I started volunteering for a collaboration. Now, collaboration with a K is the nonprofit that discovers, connects, and elevates Asian American artists. And we've heard me talk about collaboration eight trillion times in first of all, because it was a very important turning point for me to join an organization as a volunteer to start producing showcases and auditioning local talent in music, comedy, and dance to showcase Asian American talent and to move that part of my passion and mission in life, which was to give visibility and to create voices for Asian American narratives to make that come to life. So that was the volunteer gig that I was doing on the side of my two full-time jobs. Throughout those uh, post-graduation jobs, I was volunteering for a collaboration since, since 2009. And I officially graduated college in 2008, which was a year late, technically, because I studied abroad. Yeah, that volunteer gig really, really rocked my socks. It really developed a lot of these leadership skills in me. I was the, the producer. And pretty good at it. I had been producing events and doing all that stuff even since college, not college, high school, because I had been student class president. I was a class VP and I did prom and homecoming and all that stuff. It was very much ingrained in like who I am. I love making events and doing things to, I don't know, make fun memories for my classmates. It just was that creative type A person in me that really loved doing that. So all these different um, seeds were planted in me starting from a young age. And I was involved in all these different activities and going through all these different relationships that was slowly carving out like who is Minji and what does she want to do? So as I volunteered for collaboration and I did that for a number of years, I became the executive director of the San Francisco chapter and I loved it. I just, I spent all my free waking hours doing it and um, the community that I built and the friends that I made and the artists that I got to meet and the celebrities that I got to meet all was super, super fun to me. And I was just living my best life. Honestly, I look at my twenties as, as roller coastery as it was, it was a really, really special time. And I look, I, I just remember it with a lot of fondness as a lot of growth and exploration and just doing things. Like, honestly, I ran myself ragged because I didn't get that much sleep. I was traveling a lot. I was working at work and also working on collaboration at work and then working on collaboration after work and then kicking with friends and going clubbing and like doing all this ridiculous stuff. I had a very full life and having boyfriends and stuff, dealing with drama. But in all of that, I was really basically carving out how I wanted to spend my time. And again, that relates to that abusive relationship that I went through because after that relationship was over when I was 19, I felt like I had been released from prison and I had this new outlook on life that I can do whatever I want. And for five years, I I did some stuff that I want, but vast majority, I did whatever my boyfriend at the time, my ex-boyfriend told me to do. I, he literally controlled even like when I went to the bathroom, like it, that's another story, another time. But um, having that new attitude on my life is my own. I can do whatever I want. It was simultaneously super liberating and inspiring and empowering. And then also incredibly terrifying because I was like, okay, I can do whatever I want. What the hell do I do now? How, where does my life go from here? So I would say from 19 years old onward, it was this, I was kind of like a train <laughs> that was going 
full speed ahead, twists and turns and different pit stops. But I was really on my way of becoming who I, who I was meant to be and who I think I am meant to be. So in that journey, you know, I was working these different corporate jobs and different organizational jobs, jobs where I had to work the nine to five. And I had specific tasks and responsibilities and check-in meetings and all of that. And I can tell you, you know, just kind of fast forwarding to where I am, even at the collaboration point where I decided to take the role of executive director, every single step along the way educated me to no end. Like I cannot emphasize how valuable that time was to work for other people and to see how organizations were run, how bosses interacted with their subordinates, how teams interacted with one another, how um, people motivated each other, how people could use compensation or benefits or like a team outing to a San Francisco Giants game, go Giants, how all these different elements could make a business run and how people were motivated and brought the best versions of their work and themselves to work and put that into what they did. So I, I'm just so grateful for everything that I learned. And it really gave me a lot of hope and confidence to then take my volunteer role as collaboration director of the San Francisco chapter and apply it as the executive director of the entire organization. That was a really, really big plunge for me. I had so much self-doubt. And honestly, throughout the entirety of that, the rest of those years, altogether was, what, nine years? It was a lot of self-doubt and imposter syndrome along the entire way. But there were parts of me that felt confident and supported that I was just like, okay, here we go. Let's do it anyway. Now, I do want to say that that part was the beginning of the difficult conversation with my family. And I want to go into the challenges of the freelance life and the side hustle life because it requires a specific part of, of a person to own who, who and what they are. I don't think it's possible to pursue a side, like make a side hustle a freelance gig or like that next thing that you do or switch careers without really going deep inside yourself with introspection and with self-awareness, with compassion and with like determination to figure out who, who you are and why you want to do this. Because when you then go make those choices, and I really have learned the value of choices, that life is about choices. Um, it, it is, it is the greatest, I, I don't know. It's just like the greatest resource. It is the most important thing that you need to have ready to deal with everything else that's going to come your way. You got to know why you're doing it, why it matters to you. That can be your single like fuel source to get you through some really, really difficult stuff. So, um, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that, that the why is super important to identify and that it will then further dictate or educate or influence how you're going to go about this new part of your life. So in making that decision for collaboration to leave a very secure corporate job where I genuinely liked my boss, I liked my job. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't like, I was not a fan of software license compliance. And mind you, I felt like a huge imposter there because I felt like I only had about a 60 to 70% expertise. Like I didn't fully know what I was doing. I knew enough, but I didn't care that much that I didn't go that extra nine yards that I go for other things that I am passionate about. I just did the bare minimum, but I think the bare minimum that I brought to that job was more than they had ever had before. So 
I felt really appreciated. I, at the end of the day, I don't think I like manipulated or screwed them. I just know that I could have done better. And I feel a little bit guilty that I didn't give it a hundred percent. Um, but I'm grateful that what I did do helped the company. I helped save them money. I helped, um, get things organized in the two years that I was there at Macy's.com. I think I did contribute something valuable and I liked my boss so much and I liked my coworkers so much and I liked all the perks and all the, the nice office and all the outings and all the free food. It was really, really great. And that was honestly very hard for me to give up. So when I had to ask myself what was really valuable to me, what would I regret when I'm, you know, on my deathbed at a hundred years old, like I'm Rose from Titanic or whatever. Like if I'm laying in my bed and I'm an old lady with white hair, what will I be the saddest or angriest or, you know, most upset that I didn't try? And that was taking a risk, um, in my late twenties to try being the collaboration executive director is something I cared so much about clearly had already put in years and years of time and energy. I even went to the ER for this, you guys. Um, I didn't go for it. I was just an idiot and mismanaged my health, but yeah, I went to the ER because of all this like side hustling. Um, I decided that it was worth it and that I was going to give it a shot. I also failed to mention that during the time of my second corporate job, um, working for Macy's.com and running Collaboration San Francisco, I also started acting in the middle of that. So there was a nine-month period where I was triple hustling. I had a full-time nine-to-five um, in the middle of downtown San Francisco where lots of things happened and things moved very quickly there. Also running Collaboration San Francisco and then also taking acting classes and I started auditioning and booking acting gigs. So there was that nine-month period where Life was just completely chaotic. I think it was a beautiful chaos. I kind of thrive in that environment, which is kind of a double-edged sword, obviously. Um, But I was triple hustling and just living my truth and living my best life. And doing that triple hustle was also what led me to have to give something up. And that's where I was getting so tired. Um, And it's not even just physically tired. It's mental exhaustion is so real. And there's only so much that I think humans are capable of juggling at once. And so it was manifesting in my life in a lot of different ways, whether that's, you know, being physically sick, like getting a bunch of colds one after another, or um, honestly, like pains or injuring myself or aches and I I don't even remember. It just was a kind of chaotic time. I knew something had to be taken off that plate. And that's where I had to sit down and really evaluate what was important to me, what was going to stay on that plate, and what was I going to commit to even further while letting something else go. Um, I also will say at that time when I was doing this triple hustle, I was dating my ex-boyfriend who was also a part of collaboration. And he and I met because he was the director of another city chapter. And then he had moved to San Francisco and was with me. And he was a really um, great support in helping me identify the answers to these questions because he was so supportive and he believed in me a thousand percent. And honestly, I credit him and thank him so much for giving me a lot of fuel and a lot of um, encouragement because even though I'm like, go, go, go. And I'm excited. And I'm like, just going out at a thousand miles, I would reach these really big blocks of, am I cut out for this? Can I do this? Why are they offering me this job? I'm not, I'm like, who even am I to, to take on this leadership role? He was there to like fill in those gaps and uh, really push me and encourage me. I also want to give a shout out to my older brother because my older brother 
uh, he's the one that honestly saved my life from my, my ex-boyfriend since 19. My brother has been a rock. I mean, honestly, a lot of my life, but really, I think things, uh, took a different turn when we rebonded and reconnected when I was 19 years old. And my brother was the one who really, really, really encouraged me the entirety of that, you know, since I was 19 to live my life, to live my truth, to not regret things, to not be so scared. Um, and he went to great lengths to really, really push me. So I have to acknowledge these people because the people around us play such a critical role in either potentially hindering us, feeling like we'll disappoint somebody or we will upset them or we'll lose them in some fashion if we are true to ourselves and do what we want to do. Um, and I felt that way with my parents, but my brother was one of those people that really was like, Minji, you, you just got out of, you got another pass at life with getting away from this psycho and, um, you're smart and you're capable. You can do this. I believe in you. So I really, I just need to continue to give my brother credit for helping me, um, stoke that fire. And he planted really important seeds in my brain of like, maybe I can do this. Not even like the full confidence of like, oh my God, I can do this. I'm amazing. I'm a queen. I can do whatever. There are moments I feel like that, but on the regular, I think you need to have that steady, steady voice within yourself. And that can be further amplified by other people around you who can give you more confidence and give you hope and encouragement that you are capable of doing more than what you fear you're not able to. So um, he was actually the person to find out about acting classes because when I told him I wanted to be an actor, um, he reached out to his friends because he had gone to UCLA. He knew a bunch of people. If you're in LA, you know somebody that's an actor and somebody that's pursuing entertainment. So he reached out to friends and he got a referral to this class that changed my whole freaking life. And I started um, while I was living and uh, working in San Francisco and that's Beverly Hills Playhouse. So as I started that class, and um, that class further fueled my, uh, like, you can be a professional actor. You have what it takes. You just need to commit X, Y, and Z and just go for it. Um, those All these converging factors, like, really kept pushing me forward into leaving behind the safe, the safe route, uh, the corporate world that I did like and appreciated and saw myself thriving. And honestly, I, I could see myself continuing to get promoted and doing well at Macy's.com or if I wanted to switch to another big company, which in San Francisco, there is no shortage of, um, maybe going to New York. I had all these ideas of this corporate life and this steady, stable, quote unquote, path that I was envisioning from that tech world or from that nonprofit world too. Um, to let all that go and to say, no, I'm going to try this thing over here, this thing that's really, really foggy and obscure, and I'm really going to have to build this brick by brick, I think I'm going to give this a shot. And I also want to include that I'm historically the former version of myself, the young Minji, was like the most sensitive and the most scared child like, I was scared of everything. I was scared of new food. I was scared of movies. If I liked a TV show, I would stick to it. Like, I didn't even want to watch new shows that everybody else... I'm still kind of like this now. But, like, I would kind of stay in my lane <laughs> and not try that many new things. I was terrified of theme parks. Like, I didn't try roller coasters and stuff till I was 11. 
Um, cause I was just so scared. I just remember always being terrified and always reaching for my mom's skirt or something, some kind of security blanket to keep me feeling like everything's going to be okay. And, um, so the idea of that child becoming this version of me, that was like, you know what? I don't know where the ship is going to go, but I'm going to steer it and it's going to be great. Like going from that to that, I, I do really, I do kind of marvel at that. And I, I really appreciate that. I really like that I became that person. I'm very happy. I'm very grateful. Um, and that wouldn't have happened without all the, the craziness and the drama and the hardship. Cause it, having things at stake and losing things and having almost losing myself, honestly, having in, been in that really, really dark place and wanting to end everything and, and stuff like that. Having gone through that and then coming out the other side and realizing that there is opportunity and that there are options and that I have a choice and I have smarts and tenacity and support, um, and resources at my disposal to make the life that I want. That's just, you cannot, uh, there's no price. Like you can't buy that. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you can get inspired that way through like a Tony Robbins thing or whatever. Um, or Brene Brown. I love her. Maybe you can get it through those things, but that life experience gave me so much life. I just, I can't put it any other way. So it's really, really great to take, take note of that. And periodically, I think it's important for me to stop and be like, Oh my gosh, I've come a long way. So now let's get to where I am. So I went through all of that. I, took the collaboration executive director role. Didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had some ideas. I had a lot of ambition, a lot of vision, um, but now I had to execute. And now I had uh, hundreds of volunteers, you know, out there across North America, producing these showcases, finding their local talent. And I had to hopefully create some sort of sustainability or programs or a team to keep that moving forward so that we could meet our goal and our mission of having authentic Asian American representation in media. Now, I also want to take a second here to toot my freaking horn and my team's horn and collaborations horn, because as a nonprofit that's been around for 19 years and had over 1,200 Asian American artists perform on stages in tiny little stages that maybe no one will ever hear of or think of, we laid groundwork and did brickwork that built the platform for other Asian Americans to shine. And we everything. This is part of the overall message of this episode. Everything takes time to gestate and grow and build. Nothing goes to like full fruition overnight and no success is overnight. It just doesn't work that way. Everything takes effort and, um, skill building and collaboration, like with a C and, um, and failure and triumph and then failure again. It takes so much for people to thrive and grow and prosper. So I just want to thank Collab because watching that on the regular, watching it happen in Boston, Detroit and Dallas and Toronto and New York and in San Francisco and Seattle and Honolulu, watching real people do the real work for free, like vast majority, like I did my years of volunteering too. Watching people do that work out of sheer willpower and passion gave me so much motivation and purpose. And honestly, the skills, like doing the work was what taught me how to do the work. You got to just do it. And um, when you're inspired and you're motivated, that's when you're going to learn what you really need to learn. I'm still on the board of collaboration, but that time really taught me 
the hard work of taking an idea and making it reality of um, having an idea for a conference. One of my, the things I'll be most proud of is the empower conference that I helped create with my team. And that was a conference that was going to not just showcase artists, but educate them and help develop their skills and understand the industry so that whatever barriers they felt, if it's a bamboo ceiling, if it's a race thing, it's like um, a gender thing, if it's whatever, a generational thing, and they just feel like they're so unwelcomed in the entertainment and media industry as an artist or someone behind the scenes, I wanted to break that barrier down and make it available so that people could come learn, learn from people who are doing it, learn from the pros, contribute to the conversation and help move it forward. And that's what Empower was. And um, honestly, my whole time at Collaboration was a really huge educational experience on watching how others do their work because I was surrounded by freelancing artists and also how I want to do my work because I saw a lot of ways that people did their work that I hated, to be honest. There are going to be good eggs and there's going to be bad eggs. And there's going to be ways that people do business and conduct relationships and transactions in a way that's admirable and respectable. And then there's going to be Donald Trump. You know what I'm saying? So you learn from everything. I definitely learned that in spades during my time at Collaboration. And and I'm so grateful to that because not only was I running an organization that meant so much to me and that I really believe did the work to help elevate Asian Americans to matter in in the mainstream conversation that it was that we were no longer invisible that we were no longer relegated to these stupid stereotypical old ridiculous boring racist idiotic tropes and stereotypes that we're actually three-dimensional people that are starting to be seen and be heard and empowered to speak up in spaces that they did not feel empowered to speak up before I feel like we accomplished that and we're still doing it. So I'm very, very grateful for my time at Collaboration. And that honestly further fed me to say, who am I as an artist? Because during that entire time, I was side hustling and doing the acting thing. So as an actor, I was auditioning. I was trying to get my agents. I was putting money into classes. I was doing scene study and improv, commercial acting classes, Whatever income I was making from Collaboration, I was further investing into my side hustle, which was acting. And then as all these things continued to prosper and grow, again, it came to that same point of time and entering my 30s and being really of the mindset of like, what is it that I want to do? What feeling extended because I'm physically ill again. There was a year that I got sick 13 times in one year, which was really freaking bad. (laughs) Getting physically exhausted, like uh, I went through a breakup and I was single and trying to figure out like, where do I want to take the rest of my life? Do I want to have a family? If I do, what kind of financial stability do I need? What kind of benefits do I need? Life changes. Like my parents sold their house because they just needed to move on to a different chapter in their life. And I suddenly became a homeowner while I was still working at Collaboration. And becoming a homeowner was like a really eye-opening experience. I was so not ready for it, but maybe more ready than I thought, but I was still not ready and kind of naive, not kind of, I was super naive. Learning the responsibilities of what that means and having a mortgage and having all these other things on my plate, on my shoulders and recognizing that my parents are getting older and I wanted to help them retire easily and not have to struggle so much to to support themselves. You know, I wanted to be there and treat my friends and go on more vacations and just kind of... and move on in in my life in a way looking at acting as a side hustle 
and really looking at the overall goal and dream of what I wanted my life to be was really, it, it kept growing. That um, weight on my shoulders or that plate of, I don't know, what's on your plate of food? <laughs> All this stuff that was in front of me kept growing. In general, I really like that. I love, I'm a very like glass half full slash glasses overflowing kind of person. <laughs> I think there's more than enough of everything in life and there's opportunity, there's money. But in those moments, I was starting to feel like time was running out. Opportunities were running out. If I don't start really taking acting seriously, am I ever going to go anywhere? Is this just going to remain a hobby? And money, honestly, I wasn't making as much money as I knew I could. And I was in my 30s. And at that point, my peers, my friends, even like my best friends were all, you know, a lot of them were making six figures. They had they become homeowners too. Although being a millennial and being a homeowner is pretty rare these days. And they were married and they had kids. And it's that comparison game, which can be super toxic and really, really negative and disruptive in life. But sometimes, honestly, it can play its role too. I don't purely resent it or... But I think if you're only comparing and only trying to measure yourself compared to other people, I think that that's not an accurate or valid way to measure success in life. But um, I was certainly caught up in that and having these really big meltdowns occasionally of where my life was going and how I wanted to adjust and tweak and pivot my life and my career choices so that I could feel like I had fulfilled my my purpose in life, which I believed was to be a creative creator. And to build also the family that I wanted and the income that I wanted, the lifestyle. Because time is the most precious thing, as Bill Gates lets us know. If you haven't watched Inside Bill Gates' Brain, it's just such a, it's such a good docuseries. Go to Netflix right now and just watch it. You can listen to this podcast later. But anyways, yeah, so a lot of these different things were on my plate. I was figuring things out. And in that side hustle... I feel like even during my time at Collaboration, I was also doing additional side hustles. Whatever I could do to supplement my income was becoming really important. And there's many more episodes that I want to share to talk about money because I'll, the fact of the matter is in my 30s and even currently, I've been in credit card debt and wanting to live a certain lifestyle and keep up with friends and a certain lifestyle and certain luxuries or like the treat yourself mentality in the world that I live in here in the United States where we're like ultra, ultra capitalistic and ultra, ultra consumer driven and just marketed to literally every waking hour of the day. I, I fell into that and I, um, it was student loan debt. It was moving costs and taking trips that probably I couldn't afford at the time not keeping a good eye on where my bills were and like honestly paying for stuff that I didn't even need or like eating out too much, whatever, bad habits. All these things were accumulating. I had credit card debt. So I've been very much part of this side hustle universe, always trying to find what I could do to supplement my income so I could pay my bills. And we'll go definitely more into the financial aspect in later episodes. But in terms of the side hustle, I'm going really deep into my story because it's a journey. It's not like you choose one thing and then, oh, all of a sudden you make this choice. There's a lot of factors that are in play when you decide what it is that you want to do with your life and with your time. So I'm giving that breathing room because and sharing the details of my journey because I think from what I've 
understood from talking with everybody else, that's, those are all the similar factors that everybody else is dealing with. It's just their unique buffet of factors, whatever you're dealing with, whether it's illness in your family or an inheritance or your major like is irrelevant to what you're doing now. So most people, FYI, if you're younger in like college or just graduated, I don't know that many people whose major directly like shaped their whole life. Getting an education is important though. Anyways, I digress. Whatever you're going through, it's your version of everybody else's journey, you know? So I'm sharing those details to lay the context because the challenges that I've faced as somebody who stepped out of another full-time job, which was last year, last spring, collaboration was my full-time job for five years, six years. I have no sense of time. It was my full-time job for a number of years and I decided to choose my artistry. I decided to choose whatever it is beyond collaboration and having to let that go was a big moment. And I had to take all those factors that I was just mentioning previously into consideration of what was going to educate my next choice in stepping down. When I stepped down from collaboration, I had a full-time salary and the side hustle of acting. And I had saved up three months worth of money, savings, to support myself. In hindsight, if you're ever going to try to make your side hustle your full-time hustle, don't do that. I live in Los Angeles, which is expensive. It's one of the most expensive cities in the U.S. But setting a budget and having a very realistic view of how much money it takes to survive in your current living situation, mine being having a mortgage and property taxes and bills and being a landlord and... um Having costs, if I am acting like I have to spend money on casting websites and headshots and blah, blah, blah. I have real, co- I have costs, hard costs that are fixed and I cannot just like decide not to pay them. I think easy rule of thumb, if I'm going to leave a full-time job to do my side hustle, I think I should have saved up six months at the very least, ideally a whole year. And I was the worst at saving. Again, I really want to talk about money. But it was, it was a very critical factor. And because I did not have a ton of savings, you know, I gave myself that three month cushion because I was like, okay, Minji, you have this goal. And if you don't start generating some real income, then you need to go apply for another full time job. I was giving myself, in my opinion, too small of a window to figure out if I could sustain myself with this freelance world that I was in. And I'll, I'll say here that my freelance work, uh, consisted of, producing. So I would help produce events. People hired me to help figure out their festival. I also was talent because I was host. I got paid to host or I got paid to do acting, which was like commercial work or print work. All the gigs in acting are super few and far between, but that was just one of my hustles. I also did voiceover work and I also did, what else did I do? I don't know. I literally helped anybody with anything. (laughs) I had a a ton of side hustles, but they mainly were predominantly in the entertainment world. So, oh, I was also a public speaker. I got hired to do keynote speeches. I've done college graduations. Those are amazing. I love them. Just doing Q&A panels, things like that. Being a facilitator, moderator. Again, me speaking seemed to be a big 
component at the time of my side hustle income. So I was basically imagining that I could stitch together an income that could sustain me and that I needed to really commit myself the first three months that I had the savings to like establishing some kind of flow and working all of my referrals and just generating like a longer strategy to sustain myself. So yeah, highly don't recommend that. I think that somebody should have at least six to 12 months of savings in your account so that you can not have to freak out. Because the main thing that I learned from my side hustle world of stepping down from collaboration and freelancing was the mental health aspect. And I've talked about this so much in my episodes on therapy. I'll go more in depth on those. If you want to learn more about my journey with therapy and finding a therapist, you can go check that out. It's previous episodes. I don't know what number. I hope you find it. But my mental health really declined. I was also in a new relationship with Kenji and um, he is also, he's a filmmaker. So he's a freelancer. And the two of us navigating two freelance lifestyles of uncertainty and instability was a lot. And honestly, to this day, we figured out a lot more and have gone through a lot together, but it was a lot to be dealing with right off the bat. And we had only been dating for about five months at that time, four or five months, pretty early in our relationship. So challenges, yeah, surviving financially was definitely a challenge, but having that financial challenge took a huge impact on my mental health. I was having massive anxiety on a daily basis. That was like, it started off pretty small. Like I just felt like, oh, okay, I need to get a job. I need to figure out how to pay, you know, come September, like, what's my job going to be? I kept thinking about the future and it just was slowly destroying me. I was getting sick again. I was breaking out. And when you're an actor and you have to get in front of people and try to act cute and charming and all that stuff, it can be really further uh, debilitating to feel physically, you know, not at your best and then try to be in front of people and be personable. I was gaining weight. Like, again, this is a holistic, like, 360 because our careers and our lives are not just, you know, what you get up and clock in and clock out. It really takes a toll on, like, our emotional mental health. So that was definitely a huge component that I really think anybody who's thinking of that side hustle life and if you are overextending yourself, even if you still have your full-time job, it is a lot to deal with. And I think that the longer you delay addressing it, the worse it it could get. Like realistically, it's just probably going to keep getting worse. So for anybody who is in that world, I really think that thinking about preemptively or like nipping in the bud, maybe you're already, already stressed out, might already be your world, or even before you even start thinking of the side hustle or getting into the freelance life, coming up with a mental health game plan is I think, honestly, number one, it is right up there with coming up with a financial plan. If you don't have like your method of dealing with stress or coming up with some sort of practice, whether that's yoga slash meditation slash exercise, scheduling in breaks or whatever, if you don't have a game plan for that, you might be setting yourself up for disaster pretty early on because I think it's not a weakness of the human condition to worry and to be prone to stress like it's just a certainty on top of the fact that we live in social media world you know like you're gonna have so many reminders of like other people prospering and killing it in their highlight reels it's gonna take a toll so i think that mental health goes really hand in hand with the financial instability it's something to address really early on 
those are really, really key things that I think just come into play when somebody is doing a side hustle and freelancing and addressing relationships. Again, I mentioned earlier just how I had to approach my parents and let them down that I was going to be quitting my cushy corporate job to pursue collaboration, which they really looked at as a hobby. And even as a hobby, my dad was telling me to stop wasting my time. And I never agreed with him because I knew that was valuable. I knew it was giving me skill sets and leadership skills and teaching me about an industry that I was really interested in. But I knew it was going to be a really big disappointment. And disappointing my parents took a big toll on me. So sometimes there are people that matter to you. And there's sometimes there's people who don't. Parents don't matter to everybody, but there might be somebody else in your life, like a significant other or your sibling or your friends who are not on board with what you want to do. And when you have a side hustle or when you're living a freelance life, it's it's a different lifestyle than having a full-time job. So being prepared to deal with those relationship dynamics, maybe not being able to be emotionally or psychologically present with everybody because you're just dealing with this new transition in your life is something to really take to heart and think about. Not to say that to make you not do it, just go forth with that in mind because you might have some hard conversations. People might not be on board and all on your team. You'll definitely have your cheerleaders and you'll definitely have your people, maybe not even directly telling you not to do it, but just not being on board and not helping you flow. You know what I mean? Like they might be the ones kind of slowing it down. And if they are important to you, I think it's important to make that relationship important and not be eternally only singularly fixated on that career element and what you want to do. And that's a cultural thing too. I think in America, honestly, in Korea, it's a big thing. Our careers become such a focal point of our identities. And that is not the entirety of who we are. We are also ourselves. We are not our jobs. And we have other people in our life that mean things to us and that give us a lot of purpose and value, like our friends and our family. So to neglect them for the sake of a career, I say just tread with caution. I mean, you're going to live your life, but just hopefully you won't do it at the expense of people that really really are irreplaceable and valuable to your life. A career, there's just enough telltale stories and like cliches of people who put everything into the career and everything into financial success and this one version of themselves that they, it was at the cost of everything else. And in that way, you know, it cut their fulfillment short. It didn't, they got to the top of the mountain and they were all by themselves and it didn't feel particularly great. So the relationship aspect, I think is super, super important to note that whatever your version of relationships that are important to you are, some may have to take a back seat. Some may have to be compromised in XYZ or sacrificed in XYZ way. But because that is, it is, what was it? It's collateral damage of being like an ambitious person and wanting to do many things in life. And that's what we kind of do at different chapters. You know, sometimes that's why people say, go do what you want when you're younger, because you don't have a mortgage and you don't have a spouse and you don't have children who are relying on you to be there and be present and give attention and time and care. So yeah, I'm just think of all these things. I'm just putting that out there because there are things that I've had to think about and I've had to struggle with because 
I've been very, very fixated on like being an actor and being a producer and making all these creative projects come to life and having a partner, like having even Kenji and my brother and my parents along with me for that ride. And uh, my younger brother too, like trying to set a good example for him. Like, how can I speak to him with any authority or wisdom when like I have a more chaotic unraveled life than he does? Like he's in the military. He's on a way different track. All those things considered, you know, everyone's on that journey with you. So keeping that in mind of how you're going to communicate and manage those expectations, how you're going to communicate what you need, how to apologize for something that you might do wrong if you end up neglecting somebody or dropping the ball in some way. Those are all things that are going to come as collateral. I don't even say collateral damage. It's all kind of part and parcel of freelancing and hustling because something's got to give. And I am kind of a believer that you can have what you want. You can't probably like realistically, this is like crushing the optimist in me. You can't have it all at once. And learning how to prioritize can be the biggest blessing. So just know that. And some things might have to take a backseat or the side or just be let go of completely. And that's something to prepare for. The other logistical things that I also want to highlight in terms of being a freelancer and a hustler or side hustler is just, again, the financial logistical preparation, having tools at your disposal to help yourself be as best set up for success. And by success, which again is defined by you, not having to take out loans with really high interest rates, not having to borrow. For me, as like, I didn't want to have to borrow money from my parents. I didn't want to have to move to a smaller place. I wanted to be able to meet my responsibilities as a homeowner and make my bill payments on time. I did not want to mess up my credit score. I still wanted to be able to eat out occasionally and not have to avoid every single social setting because I'm so broke that I couldn't. These are all different like definitions of success that I could have a balanced and fulfilled life while still freelancing and doing my my hustles were the ways that I was defining success. And when I fell short of that, that's when I went into really, really survival mode, stressed out, like completely falling, sometimes to the point of completely falling apart space. So yeah, having those values and that expectation or like those preferences set, educated how I was going to deal with my finances. I also got audited by the IRS. So that was like, a really big learning lesson because it forced me to look at all of my expenses in the entire one year of my life to look at how I was spending my money and where I was super dumb about a lot of things and where I hadn't bothered to research or get educated. So I think that if you're, this to me applies whether you're freelancing or doing a side hustle or just working a nine to five. I I think that the lack of understanding that we have of our financial institutions is mind boggling. It genuinely scares me. And I know in, at least in the United States, the, the magnitude of credit card debt makes my brain explode. And I've been part of that. It's, God, if there's somebody out there who wants to talk about this with me, please, and educate me and go in depth on this, I'm like putting that bat signal out there because I really want to talk about this. I have my experiences and I really want to talk about this more on first of all. But getting your finances in order, number one thing, like learning how taxes work. If you're freelancing, understanding like you do not get, if you get paid for a gig, one third of that better go into another account to pay taxes because you do not want to be screwed 
come April that you don't have enough money to pay your taxes to the state and to the federal government. There are real consequences that I don't think people really think about in general, not just money-wise, but in general, people don't think about a lot of consequences until they are in front of you, until you are living them, until you are having that meltdown. You like don't think about that. So I'm here to lovingly encourage you, go like be your advocate and do the research, do your homework and look up what it actually takes. Especially now with Google and with YouTube, there's literally no excuse to not know these things. And um, I'm saying this with such like passionate rage towards myself because I was so, these are all things that I wish I had done before I stepped really into the freelance world. I dabbled, I had some things under my belt, but I... Just, I genuinely really think that I could have been much better prepared. So that means having, if psychologically I know that I have money, quote unquote, sitting around that I have access to, doesn't help me because I might end up spending it. Having like a separate bank account that I would automatically, every paycheck that I got, put away 30%, 30, a third of it, 33%. Actually, now I'm at 30%. Putting away at least 30% as a, as a single adult, um, unmarried adult and putting it away to pay taxes was a practice I had to learn how to do. It's something that's really, really important for people to learn before you jump off that, that cliff and you become only reliant on yourself to support yourself financially. So I just really highly recommend looking into how taxes work, getting a good accountant, um, understanding the tax benefits of like becoming your own business or becoming a freelancer. There are certain things that you can deduct because you are freelancing um, that you need to take in consideration. So do that research and read a book and read magazines and go on YouTube and go on Google, find out what those things are. There are other things related to money, like setting a rate. As a freelancer, I do a lot of voice work. As a producer, I do freelance work. I have to figure out what is the value of my time and my expertise to X project. And that's stuff that I had to learn over time. I was very, very scared of negotiating or I undervalued myself tremendously because I was a novice and because I just had a lot of imposter syndrome. Finding out how to value yourself properly and putting a number out there that you feel good about, again, with the understanding that (laughs) once you get paid that, you don't have access to a third of that because that goes directly to taxes. Keeping that in mind can help educate how you value yourself and how you set a rate for whatever services you're providing. So think about that. And think about how much time it actually takes to do the work that you're doing. When I was doing my side hustle, thing that kept coming up as a good side hustle, which is the thing that's honestly paying most of my, for my life right now is my voice work. Pay attention to what is actually paying you. Again, I was on this whole journey and this vision to become an actor and to sustain myself through doing commercial work and print work and hopefully TV and film. But realistically, like, The setup that I had at home with my home studio, with my microphone that I was also really comfortable with because I'd been podcasting for a number of years at that point, it it felt like a minimal investment of time and energy to learn how to do voice software and how to edit. And then again, using YouTube and Google as my best friend to self-teach. I I was really self-taught in in doing voiceover work, listening to a bunch of commercials and having the convenience of being able to do it from home. That became the thing. I just paid attention to the clues, what I was getting paid for, what I was getting complimented on, and I started booking more and more gigs. So I think being able to pay attention to the signs of what's telling you which hustle, again, you might not be a multi-hustle person like me, but pay close attention to what indications are telling you about what's succeeding and what's not. 
if you're not getting paid for your work and it's been years and years, it honestly might be a point where you need to say, okay, maybe this is just a hobby and it's not going to be my career. It's not going to be the thing that pays my bills and I build a whole career off of. Or maybe it's just, okay, not right now. Maybe I do need to get another job or a part-time job so that I have some steady source of income so that I can continue to work on the side hustle because it's just not working out as quickly as I thought it would be. And I'd say that's the vast majority of people who are doing freelance work or side hustling, that things take longer than you initially expected. And there is such a thing. I think that there is such a thing as beginner's luck. I booked a lot of gigs really initially. And that was like the universe telling me that I was onto something and that I have skill and talent in this area. But it wasn't like I booked these things right up front. And all of a sudden, like this torrent and this like waterfall of gigs was coming my way. Like I had to continuously put in the work and rehearse and be patient and be determined and be persistent and just keep submitting to jobs every day and, and really work up a portfolio that I could then leverage and like book more work or, raise my rates or whatever, you know, as I grew in my skill and my resume grew, then I could charge more. So things take time. And so just don't underestimate the time that it takes. And if you are really determined, be patient because it'll, it'll take time. Okay. Also, other things to take into consideration are things like referrals and networking. I personally think networking is incredibly valuable. Social media can be your best friend to let people know what you're doing. And I know that some people might have hangups, like they don't want to say that they are X before they get you know, famous for it or something. I have friends of mine who are like, I don't want to call myself an actor until I've booked a gig. And my rationale is you can't book gigs until you call yourself an actor. So call yourself an actor and then meet you know, do the job, be really good at what you do. Networking, I think is incredibly valuable. And I don't think it has to have the negative stigma of schmoozing and like kissing up to people that you don't even like, or going to big events and spending time and money, you know, being in an environment that you super like just hate, you're hating life. Networking, I think takes so many different formats, you can do it on a one on one basis. I think there are so many more introverts. I actually don't know the ratio, but I know that there's just as many introverts as there are extroverts and going in and talking to strangers or being in like a group setting where you're already socially awkward or uncomfortable doesn't need to be the only way that you quote unquote network. You can reach out and take informational meetings from people that you know in your direct circle. You can ask for referrals. You can go on LinkedIn. You can go on Facebook. You can find people and find a way to communicate with them in the format that's most comfortable for you. And then you can, you know, go from there. I also think that if you're only relying on networking, for me, I work in entertainment and I work in media in Hollywood. Networking and referrals are like, it seems like 80% of how people get jobs. So it is incredibly relevant. However, I will also say coming from the networking where I have a very large network, people also network with one another and they also talk. And if your work is not up to par and you don't have the skill, you're not good at what you do once you get the gig, the networking part is it kind of is a double edged sword. People also share like, hey, I gave this opportunity to so and so and they really just weren't ready for it. So my overall message is networking is important. You can do it in the way that you feel is best for your personality or your skill set or your industry. And also be ready to show up and be able to do the job. I just think that people talk about who they know so much and focus so much on that, that the, the excellence of their work is compromised. 
And honestly, in terms of the referral world, I refer people that I think are professional, reliable, and show, shows up and do, does the job and does it well. Cause if I'm the refer and that person fails or just doesn't take it seriously or hasn't done the work, it's going to make me look bad. It's going to make them it, like, it's just not a good situation for anybody. So if you're going to play that card and you're going to bank on the networking thing, just make sure that you're also putting it equal, if not more time into the actual craft or whatever service you're providing. If you're a marketing consultant, like be freaking good at it. Don't just call yourself that. Come up, have a really good network because you happen to be friends with the people that own a bunch of businesses that could be your clients and then just show up and be really subpar at what you're doing because that will, that will honestly make your business or your freelance work or whatever it is, your hustle fail before you even get it started. You know, people really do need to be able to trust your work, the quality of your work. And yeah, I just think, I mean, I talked about networking money. God, this podcast could go on for like eight hours all by myself. This is crazy. I'm going to bring in other people because there's more topics that I want to touch upon but I don't want this to go on forever. Those are things to start thinking about with the side hustle and freelance work, the practical side, and also the spiritual mental side. It is good to dream big, going back to like the woo-woo stuff that I love, set big visions and set big goals. I've often been told that I don't dream big enough, and I already thought that I dreamt pretty big. I think that it's important to have a very big goal and work your way up towards it. And dreams are goals without a timeline. <laughs> so take your dream, turn it into a goal, give yourself milestones and give yourself timelines and break it down into very incremental steps. Again, if you want to be, if I want to become Meryl Streep, you know, I'm not going to like skin her and become her body. That's not what I'm saying. But if I want to be an actress of her caliber, then I have to reverse engineer that and break that down into minor steps that I can apply at this point where I'm at, which is very much in the beginner intermediate stages of that journey and taking class or creating a reel or writing down a resume or getting my headshots taken. That's just one step of many to actually actualize the thing that it is that you want to do. Everything again, takes time. It's laying brick by brick. So just do that work and honestly make it inspirational for yourself. I think enjoying the journey makes it go faster because you're really putting your all into it and your work is that much more likely to be excellent when you care about the quality of it because you're, you're into it, which is why people start these side hustles. Ask other experts in your field. You know, if someone else has done something, maybe not exactly the same, but similar to what you want to do, go ask them for what their journey has been like. How did they do it? How did they set up their website? Did they get assistance on social media? How did they budget? Like, how how do you budget if you don't even know? I'm still learning that um, for my life. Setting up practical budgets for the kind of life that I want to live and the projects that I want to make. I think those are really important for me to get educated on. Listen to podcasts, list, read some books, and make your vision board. All these like concrete action items will help you get steps closer to where you want to be. And when you are doing that side hustle, just know that it takes time and perseverance and vision and determination to to get there. And honestly, also really, for me, this is a very funny thing for me to say because I'm really embracing this. Also be ready that everything that you're planning and envisioning might not work out. I didn't think that I'd make voice acting such a big thing in my life. And here we are because it's paying my bills and I actually really enjoy it. I did my first movie this past summer, which was great. I got to act in a movie and that was a huge goal of mine. And I achieved it. And after that, I was like, do I still really want to 
be a film and TV actor? I don't know. That's a question I'm dealing with right now. So just know that um, plans change and we evolve. And sometimes when we're trying to grasp at something too hard and try to force it to be the exact way that we want right at the time that we want it to be, sometimes that might be the very thing that's causing you to not flow and not to move forward. So approaching things openly by wanting it, but not over wanting it, not being too thirsty for a specific outcome and having, again, that same drive and perseverance and determination and skill, tenacity. I think personally, that's, that's what I think has been the thing that has brought me to where I am now, where I can comfortably say, you know, I am making a living. I'm making more increasingly than I I did as in my full-time jobs prior. And I did not know I was capable of that. Like I kind of knew, but I didn't know because I hadn't done it yet. And that's a really special thing to acknowledge. Things are possible. They may take time, probably will take time, and they may not turn out the way that you thought it would, but it's still worth pursuing and um, just be flexible and be able to be agile and adaptable. I think those are also these qualities that I think are required of somebody who wants to freelance and who wants to have a side hustle. And I also really want to um, answer a question from one of my followers on Instagram who asked me about um, time management. And I thought that was such a great, uh, a great question to ask. And so I really appreciate you reaching out. It's from inf.gem and she asks how to manage your time effectively to support your side hustle while having a full-time job. I'll say, I'll summarize it with set a routine, give yourself disciplined scheduled time to work on your, your side hustle. If you leave things too open-ended and ambiguous, you'll never do them or you'll just waste a lot of time. Those are things I've learned over the years whether it's the hour before you go to work every morning or if it's the hour before you go to bed every night, setting aside time that's specifically for that side hustle is a way to ensure that it'll move forward and that you actually get things done. What I previously said about goals, having deadlines for yourself are really, really important. And that goes to the third thing, which is communicating. Tell other people that are important and matter to this part of your life that you are doing this side hustle. Whether it's somebody that's going to hire you or collaborate with you or support you, they need to know that this is something that you care about and that you're going to invest yourself in. They'll help keep you accountable. They'll ask you about those goals that you have. Having an accountability partner or a group of people that are also in that like-minded world can be so valuable. Even if they can't give you direct connections or whatever, just having a support system that keeps you accountable to your word and give you encouragement when you need or resource so valuable. So I think just communicate your goals and your visions out to other people. I kept a lot of my things to myself a lot, and I had to learn how to share that with my partner, with Kenji, with my parents, with my brothers. Like I honestly needed to tell them, you guys, the next month of my life is incredibly stressful, so I might not be as responsive. That helped set expectations on everyone's ends and just let me not feel so guilty or overwhelmed when I was trying to get things done for my side hustle. And they, they were fine with it because I, they didn't have some skewed perception of my time or my energy. And really reach out to see who you can collab with. Don't rely on them to do your work. I'm not saying that. But if there's other people that can synergize with what you're doing, or you can delegate or bring in team members that can facilitate things that you need to do to help you manage your time so you don't have to do everything yourself, like getting someone to help you with social because that's what they're interested in building in their career. Or 
maybe like designing your logo for you. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that like just understanding you don't have to do everything yourself. It can be really, really helpful. And the other thing with time management is take breaks. I am the worst. I think that is literally the worst quality about me is that I don't know how to relax enough and take breaks. And I have a tendency in the past to run myself ragged. And it's really counterproductive for time management because if you're just go, 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 and you don't stop, you will burn out things not again not just yourself you may end up i don't know at the very worst part of it end up in the hospital for some reason because you're severely ill you might be sleep deprived and fall asleep at the wheel and like hurt yourself and someone else and deal with now insurance and stuff i can be very very like i can go on these rampages but instead of that if you take care of yourself you'll be refreshed clear-minded you'll be alert when you're talking and traveling when you're doing a business transaction you won't miss emails like taking breaks and letting your brain reset and doing good things for your body like exercise and meditate and yoga and stretching and eating healthy food like really taking breaks and taking space for yourself to have your oxygen mask on is it's its own category but it is part of time management because at the at the long run, it really does affect your productivity. It affects your ability to make good decisions. So choose to develop those habits and those practices that really help you. And that in turn will help you manage your time. It's kind of this upward spiral. So I hope that answers your question. All right. This episode's going on forever and I need to eat. Honestly, it's because my stomach's making noises. But, um, this was my, my intro to freelancing and side hustle life. This gave you a peek into what I've gone through in my journey. Certainly not the entirety of all the tidbits and life lessons that I want to share, but I hope that you will follow me on Instagram at, at first of all pod and at Minjeezy. You can email me at first of all pod at gmail.com and ask me questions. Like if there's something that I miss, I know I didn't touch upon a lot of so many other topics like invoicing and delegating and registering your business license and things like that. I definitely want to talk about all these things and I will, but um, would love to hear feedback from you and know what it is that would be most helpful for you to know. And also think of other guests that I can bring on to help me talk about this because I'm definitely not the expert in all of these things. And it'd be really cool to hear from others. So yeah, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of First of All Podcast and that you're doing magnificently and that you are building a life that you love and uh, incorporating all these different pieces of information, whether that's from me or from someone else that you love on the internet, you know, these things are possible. You can do it. I genuinely do believe in you. I believe in people. Just got to do the work, take the ideas and then do it. Go act on it. Time is short. Okay. In a good way. It's going to be really fun. Don't freak out. Yeah, and if you'd like to financially back me, this is one of my side hustles. I didn't intend for this to be a side hustle, but it is now, and I'm going with it. I'm leaning in. First of all, podcast uh, has a Patreon page, and if you'd like to become a financial backer and support me and the work that I do in this podcast, help me keep it afloat and keep the microphone on, you can go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast. And yeah, you can become a patron. We have Google Hangouts. I now have merch um, that I'm super proud of and that I love. And thank you to everyone who's been sharing their pictures of their stickers that they have. Uh, I have the I am enough sticker, resilient AF, and everything's going to be okay. There is more coming your way. I'm designing more stuff and I'm really excited to share that. But if you'd like one, if you'd like to buy any of these stickers. A, you could become a patron. You'll get that. And secondly, if you just want the stickers, you can just DM me and we'll figure out a way for me to get it to you. 
So shout out to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you so much, Marvin, for your support and for being here with me on this journey, building up First of All Podcast. And shout out to Aquafina for use of her song, Yellow Ranger, in the intro and outro. I hope you all are doing magnificently and also tune in to the Potluck Podcast Collective, which is a collective of Asian American podcasters and storytellers. And you can find First of All Podcast if you want to share this with anybody, with a friend that might need um, some support or some education on their new side hustle or their project. You can share, you can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Public, Spotify, and everywhere else you find podcasts. And that's it for me. Holy crap, this went on for a long time. I love all of you. I hope you have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Came in 88 with a dream of so bright eyed. They knew right away, sink or swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting their teeth on the move. Nobody's filling these shoes. Balling on a budget, had to go to Nudge, super size number two. Cash. Way that the world ain't budging. Gotta make a power move. Deep in the darkest dungeons. I'm digging up my own rule. Hands on the plow. Keep my head down. Sweat on my brow. Don't make a sound. Pay my dues now. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zan Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.